Welcome to Overboost 18. Overboost is a podcast interview series featuring discussions with speedrunners about their history in speedrunning and gaming and the runs they're passionate about. I am your host, PMC Trilogy, and with me today is Maxi Loves. Maxi, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I, I've been, I'm really excited this because we are, we are, you might not know this, but we are members of a very important club, which is the club of people who have prevented Casey Frew from holding on to any world records. <laughs> that's, that's true, actually. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, it's an elite, elite brotherhood. Uh, very, very glad <laughs> to talk to you. Had to lead off with that one. Um, but I always like to start with something recent and uh, something that I noticed that you did recently that I wanted to get your take on uh, was I noticed you had done some streaming and speedrunning uh, with the Dread X collection. And I I find it, you know, indie games have been getting, you know, progressively bigger, I think, now for, for a decade, going, going back to things like, you know, Spelunky or stuff like that. Uh, but now I feel like they're they're getting much more sophisticated in their in their presentation, and I wanted to ask you, you know, as a speedrunner and streamer, uh, how do you feel about the the sort of role and position that indie games take in what you do as a speedrunner? So indie games usually provide something a little bit more niche outside of the the bigger games, which uh, sometimes leads me to trying them out. Like um, take for instance the convenience store. A uh, really short indie horror game by a couple of you know Japanese developers, and uh, it, it's just a really quick like twenty minute run. But it's got some really cool tech that you may see in a couple of the other big games out there in the horror genre, but not that many. Like you take a bento box and you like mash, pick up, and drop, and you like you float on top of it to get out of bounds. It's like where what other game are you going to use a bento box to do that that's sick so indie games do provide something that you know out of the norm um but as a as a streamer something like dread x collection is really nice because um it's okay it's it's 12 games all created by different devs in like a week you know really short games they're pretty rough around the edges but they're some of them have really cool concepts and like they're really just interesting little uh little projects and um as a streamer it's kind of nice to play those types of indie horror games as opposed to some of the other indie horror games out there that try to take themselves a little too seriously whereas this one you know dread x collection 2 doesn't take itself too seriously there's a couple of games that are very much so just kind of you know shoot the shit have fun and uh yeah i like that i tried to give it a go in speed running but uh, some of the games are a little too long and a little too rough so i kind of just I, I just did it once just to know, because you're not going to know unless you try, right? So I tried it out, and uh, eh, I'm not going to do it again, but I'm glad I gave it a shot. And it's it's still a really good uh, good time casually. And I think as like a streamer, I think a lot of horror streamers out there do tend to dabble in the indie genre, whether it's good or bad games, because it's, um, it's just a, another interesting take. I think indie games outside of the horror genre, I... Uh, I definitely like a lot of them. In fact, I think most of the indie games that I've played outside the horror genre, I've liked quite a bit. But um, as a speedrunner, I don't think I've really taken up many indie games outside of horror. 
So yeah. I might need to change that soon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like when I think of uh, indie games that I've seen uh, for speedrunners, I, f- I feel like I think of three genres, which is like FPS, uh, you know, some of the stuff like uh, like like Dusk or things like that, um, and then you know, two D and three D platformers, which I know are out there because I I've even like run into like devs like Hat in Time and things like that, but you know, which I'm less familiar with com- compared to that. But I I think what you said about Things that lean into having an inventive concept are really great for just like an, a one-off stream. Um, I think they really, really lend themselves well to that. Uh, whether or not they're speedrun friendly, you know, kind of, <laughs> oftentimes, you're, I, what you said is correct. You, you don't know until you try. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, that, that concept isn't necessarily going to, to relate to a speedrun. But then sometimes you do get a fun thing like the convenience store. Yeah, exactly. And... Um yeah, what you said about like 2D and 3D platformers, I think those in terms of indie games, like some of those games like Celeste, like they just they take off. There's so many runners just instantly. And it's really cool to see. And uh even even little games like De- Defunct, like even tiny like, you know, 3-minute speedruns. Uh you know, those developers are probably like, "Ah, eh, not many people are going to try to play this game." And it's like, "No, you've got hundreds of people trying to beat it quick." <laughs> so, it's, yeah, that has to I think be, the indie that games, has to be uh, gratifying for sure. It, it, that's also, you know, that's another part of it too. Actually, before we before we get off this subject and, and dig into your history, uh, do you ever find yourself trying to make contact with any devs? Uh, I've I've tried. Um, I think it would be easier with like the indie developers, but I've actually tried and I've succeeded with um, a couple, mostly from Monolith. Oh yeah, uh, no, me, yeah. same. <laughs> I think I think we're both yeah. in the Monolith Developer Discord or the, the the Discord. Yeah, they're really nice. They're super cool, and yeah. they'll they'll shoot the shit if if they got the time. It's it's really cool of them. And um, yeah, I think uh, you know, Fear and Condemned mostly. I've I've talked to some of those people who who worked, and they uh, yeah, they're just super supportive. All right, well, let's go back in time uh, and figure out. Where where do things start for you? Is gaming something that comes from family or friends or, or some other story? Um, I I suppose like my first introduction to video games was when I was I think I was four, and I was still living in England at the time because I'm I'm actually I was born in England. I was from London. Um, oh, I, did, I I've been on a streak now of four weeks. I I thought I had broken my streak of UK interviews, and apparently, <laughs> secret UK interview did not realize. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't be able to tell because I've 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 grown up in Southern Cali, so it's it's yeah. But anyways, um, when I was four, my sister was uh was at her boyfriend's house meeting, and my parents were meeting his parents, and I went with, and he had Tomb Raider two on his PC, and he was just like here, mess around with this for a little bit, and I had no idea what I was doing, because I was you know, small and completely unaware of what was going on. So I was messing around and got nowhere, of course. I died to the first tiger over and over again. But hey, it was a cool concept and I was involved. It was it was it was cool to see and, and just fiddle around with the keyboard. So my mom and dad were like, okay, well he seemingly enjoys this. It's it's cool. Let's get him a PlayStation. So I got a PlayStation and my first games were <laughs> Street Fighter Alpha 2, Crash Bandicoot, the Batman Forever arcade game, and Disney's Hercules. 
and that Ooh. is what I started my gaming experience on on the PlayStation when I was four. And I suppose ne- the next year and a half uh, was was just me kind of sitting there playing those same games over again, probably losing in the same spots because those some of those games are hard. <laughs> the Batman yeah. Forever Arcade game was messed up, and Street Fighter Alpha 2 AI is... Whew, oh, okay, but um, I moved to Southern California, and I also had my PlayStation again, and picked up a couple more games and started to slowly get more into it. Um, I remember some of the games that I really liked were like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And like, of course those are mechanically a little bit more advanced than some games, Tony Hawk Pro Skater two and three specifically. So I think I started off with a lot of, a lot of variety in terms of gaming and that kind of just broadened my horizons. I got like a Dreamcast. I never had an N64, so I missed out on all of that. My neighbor had an N64, so I'd always want to go to his house to go play banjo, but whatever. I had a Dreamcast, so he wanted to come over and play Soul Calibur, because, you know, Dreamcast was ahead of its time. But I think I slowly got more, like, passionate about gaming when I was probably around, like, 13, 14, because that I, I'm pretty sure that's when the PS3... Uh, the Xbox 360, like, those were big. That was a big time for gaming, you know? And I just, I was like, yo, I'm I'm fully, fully into this. I want to do this, like, every day. This is just too much fun. Would that so have been the point was- where... Where like you really like sort of took took ownership because I feel like one one inflection point that I love asking people about is when it sort of transitions from something that like you know you said your parents saw that you were interested in it as a small small child and were like all right let's start gifting this to them and then at some point you know and this I feel like this is kind of what you're going to you know you start really taking ownership of it to the point where you know maybe when you get your your first job or something like that you get you know now now it's really your 360 it's not a shared 360 no one else it's no siblings can play this 360 or something like that right yeah um i i did started i think that was more so around like the age 16 17 i think that's the age when i started taking like serious ownership over like all of my gaming equipment um i i started even like collecting games that i just didn't have access to easily like that's when i started getting into survival horror that was that was when i bought um like the Resident Evil games, the Silent Hill games, Fatal Frame games. I would like look up retro stores near me and like which GameStops could possibly have these games. And that's when I started taking stuff super seriously. Um, not as like a video game collector, but I did try to go out of my way to find games that I was interested in that weren't easily, you know, accessible at like my local store. So. How, do you find yourself now with like a pretty pretty valuable collection? Because I feel like, you know, right now in the year of our Lord 2020, uh, especially, you know, we're going to be talking about some horror games. Uh, those are some of the most expensive games on PlayStation 2. I, I have a couple. I, I think the most expensive games that I have right now are uh, Resident Evil 2 on Dreamcast and Resident Evil 2 and 3 on GameCube. Like, those go for a pretty penny. But more so Resident Evil 2 on Dreamcast. I don't know mm-hmm. why the Dreamcast version. Maybe there's just not many copies. Yeah, I, it has to be. I mean, it's, it's like why the whole Saturn library is on fire. <laughs> because it's, right, just, yes. it's just scarcity. Um, 
and then I, I also have, uh, like, Fatal Frame 2 on PS2. Like, those games are starting to get more pricey, even though they're available for download via PSN, like, on your PS3. Like, they're still going up in price. I've got all the Silent Hill, you know, copies, and... Yeah, no, I've got a couple of games. So it sounds like you certainly maintained your collection uh, when you really started kind of getting into it as a teenager. Uh, did... Do you still have the original PlayStation 1 and, and Dreamcast? I still have those OGs, yeah, PS1 and Dreamcast. I still use my Dreamcast for streaming every once in a while. Yeah, no, and that's... it's still I'm, holding up. Those <laughs> things... You know, I, I never owned a Dreamcast, but I came into possession of one recently, and I'm really sort of impressed with how how hardy they are compared to some of their peers. Yeah, no, they're, they're bricks. So... uh Another question, then, uh, so we've talked a lot about very single-player-focused genres, but I think coming of age uh, with video gaming, especially in uh, the mid-2000s, with, you know, especially with some generation, which was, I think, you had some online functionality with with 6th-gen, but I think 7th-gen is where it's really, really serious. Did you have any big uh, multiplayer gaming phases, whether that's something like, uh, you know, Counter-Strike or League or something like that? Uh, you know, funny enough, when, when PC games started to kind of, like, take off, uh, a lot of my friends were super into World of Warcraft. They instantly hopped on it, and they, they convinced me to join them for a summer, and I played for, um, quite a bit. But after about a year, I just stopped playing that, and I started to focus more on console, uh, the big multiplayer games that I got into were Gears of War and, of course, Call of Duty. Um, but Gears of War was always the one I took more to. Like, Gears Gears 2 and Gears 3, uh, I would actually go on game battles with, uh, with a group of people and, like, face off against other clans and stuff. It was, uh, it was an interesting time. And <laughs> I think the only reason I stopped doing it... Um, wasn't because like it wasn't fun uh, or like I, I wasn't good or anything because I was actually quite good at Gears of War. Um, it, it was that I I would get on a clan, um, we would like lose a couple of games in a row, and everyone would just be super toxic to each other. So I, I found that the the toxic side of multiplayer games that when you take them super seriously with other people uh, was kind of what made me stop, and that's when I started taking single-player stuff more seriously and expanding my collection and whatnot. Um, and I don't think I really got super hardcore into multiplayer again. Even as a streamer, you haven't been like, oh, let me play Rocket League or something like that with more modern stuff? Yeah, I, I suppose with more modern stuff, I've done it more casually. Um, the only game that I really streamed a lot of was Friday the 13th, because that game was just I got to admit the launch of that game was so big and it was it was so exciting but it was also one of the messiest launches I've ever seen and the game you couldn't even finish half the games you joined but it was so much fun that I I streamed an absolute monstrous amount of hours in like the first month and when, uh, yeah when would that have that, been I don't think I'm familiar with that game oh uh I think it was here, let me go look up the release date. Mm, okay, May to twenty seventeen. Okay, okay. And yeah, just a couple. It was like a straight month of just me pretty much only streaming that game, along with like a couple of other speed runs, but lots of Friday Thirteenth. But 
obviously I wasn't taking it super seriously because it was Friday the 13th, of course. Like, how can you take <laughs> that seriously? But yeah, and then recently I've gotten more into, like, Hunt Showdown, which is a pretty cool game. Like, it's a, it's kind of a Western Gothic vibe set in, like, the, the bayou. Yeah, that's like the real Cajun. Each other. Yeah, you hunt monsters and whatnot, each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's fun. Um, Rainbow Six Siege I was introduced to last year. Um, my girlfriend, uh, Biddy, showed me it and was like, hey, you should try this. And I was like, all right, all right. And I got into that, but I don't play very often. But yeah, multiplayer definitely has taken the, the backseat. But I do once in a while, you know, play it just well, for fun. Yeah. Well, in that case, let's talk about let's talk about speedrunning. Uh, what's your first exposure to speedrunning? Uh, 2015. Uh, I was playing a couple of games because I I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and I was just sitting in bed for days upon days with barely anything to do other than just play games and watch movies. And I got like a I got like a tooth infection too from that, so Ooh. it was an extended like three weeks of practically dying in bed. So that was that was fun, but that's how I found speedrunning. I looked for some glitches and tricks and stuff in the games that I was playing, <clears throat> and I looked up RE4, Resident Evil 4, Ditman glitch. What's that? Let's watch the video. And I learned how to Ditman glitch, and what was the recommended video? Like five recommended videos when YouTube's recommended list made sense. RE4 New Game Plus speedruns. Okay, what's a speedrun? So I clicked on it, and there was a timer, and he was going super quick. I was like, what is this? People do this? And it said it beat, he beat the game in like an hour, 27 minutes. I was like, no way, that's not possible. And then I watched the whole thing, and I was, uh, yeah, I was mind blown. And then another recommended video to that video was a Games Done Quick video. And I was like, oh, what's Games Done Quick? I clicked on the Games Done Quick channel, and I saw they had all these videos, just a bunch of different games, speedrunning for charity, and I was like, oh my god, this is bigger than I thought. Clicked on all the videos, watched a bunch of them. Yeah, no, it just started going down the rabbit hole of the Games Done Quick YouTube, and then, like, finally, after maybe, like, the fifth or sixth video, I noticed that in their description, they were like, this is all streamed on twitch.tv slash games done quick. And I was like, oh, what's Twitch? And so I clicked on the Twitch link and I found Twitch. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was it was like, hey, here's speedrunning. Oh, here's games done quick. Oh, here's Twitch. It's all literally all in one night. And... uh it was insane. It was insane to find all of this stuff because I had been gaming for so long and <laughs> it's like, how did I miss this? So I, that's how I got into speedrunning. I just started kind of trying to do New Game Plus Resident Evil 4 chapter by chapter, just kind of learning it and seeing how fast I can go. And then I started streaming, uh, got super into that, started playing Silent Hill 2 speedruns and kind of just took off from there i couldn't stop learning new games at that point was there any game that you feel like was the particular breakout success for you in terms of establishing yourself as a streamer hmm 
Because I know you have a lot of games that you're you're good at. So I, you know, I, I'm curious to see what your answer to this would be. I feel like the Silent Hill series was something that wasn't super explored in terms of speedrunning back in 2015, uh, for for streamers at least. So when I was playing Silent Hill 2, uh, when I was doing those speedruns, that's primarily how my audience grew. Uh, and Resident Evil 4 as well. But Resident Evil 4 was more so... There's a joke in the RE4 community, like speedrunning community, that there are RE4 cultists and they only watch RE4. So I think I had a pretty good viewership with RE4, like even when I started streaming, but it wasn't really like establishing my channel. It was just, hey, I'm here to watch. And then as soon as I do anything else, they're just gone. So I think Silent Hill is really what helped me establish myself and my channel. Um, Silent Hill 2 and Silent Hill 3 specifically. Those are the two speedruns that I think did quite well on my channel, and yeah. Some of the other games that I learned afterwards were definitely games that I really enjoyed, but I don't think it really held a, a bigger audience, but definitely brought new people to my channel. So I, I would say Silent Hill, for the most part, is definitely what helped the most, but uh, some other games like Devil May Cry and some of the other Resident Evil games, uh, Jet Set Radio was like the first run I did at GDQ, so... It's, uh... Yeah, it was just a big amalgamation of everything. Now, I have—I feel like I have to ask this because, you know, you've been doing so many horror speedruns. I feel like there was a period of time where every horror speedrunner was only playing uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Were you on that train? I was on that train. <laughs> um, How do you feel about Resident Evil 2 Remake now? Uh, hmm. <laughs> is this a loaded question? I, it's Yeah, it is, but it's a good one. It's not a bad question. It's a really good one, actually, because when the game came out, I think everyone was just so shocked because Resident Evil 1 Remake came out 2002, so fast forward 17 years and we have another remake, and after all of that time, you can see how much you know, the Resident Evil series has grown and, and how it kind of, it tries to keep those old, you know, those old ways, you know, the menu system, um, the, the way that you fight zombies and, um, the puzzles and whatnot. It tries to keep its old ways, but it also tries to bring in the modern mechanics, you know, the, the movements change to be more realistic and the aiming has changed to be more of a third person shooter and the puzzles are not so insane. They're a little bit dumbed down so that a broader audience can kind of get through the game a little bit easier. And it's, uh, it's definitely a really good remake, but it's, uh, it's also one of those things where it's not a one-to-one remake with the original. Cause it's been so long. Uh, RE one remake was only six years apart. Whereas RE two remake is 20. So, I feel like it was a bit of a reimagining more so than a remake, but it was a really good one because it, it still covered the whole, you know, Resident Evil 2 spiel of the, of the story and the important events, um, but it just kind of put a, a new modern twist to it. And I think Resident Evil 2 Remake, when it came out, was just, it was huge for everybody. Uh, just like Resident Evil 7 was. It was huge for everybody in the horror community who who likes to stream those games. And it was 
it was exciting. It was really exciting. But also, Resident Evil 2 Remake came with uh, a price, for for me at least. Um, and this is actually partly why I stopped running the game, um, like, seriously mm-hmm. at, at certain points, was because I was a part of the moderator uh, crew on speedrun.com. Oh. And, uh, well, yeah, it started out... <laughs> The, the two weeks prior to the game coming out, um, a, a lot of things were being set in motion. We were discussing the possibilities of, of what we would need to make the rules and stuff, and yada yada, and those people were on board. Come the release, everyone plays it, and they're like, wow, this game's fucking awesome. So many people are going to be running this. And my thought was, yeah, so many people are going to be running this. Uh, but is it going to be overwhelming, or are we going to be able to handle this? And everyone was like, no, we, we got this. We got this. And I was like, okay, all right. And when we actually opened up the leaderboards, about three or four days after that happens, three of the other moderators were just like, eh, I'm out. Oh, and no. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why? And they were like, I just don't feel like it now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was more reason to it, but they were just being, I guess, cordial. And they were like, no, nah, I, I don't feel like doing this. It's... It's a bit stressful, and you know I don't have that much time. And I was just sitting there, like, no, don't, don't do this, <laughs> no, don't, oh, no, boy. no, no. And so I was sitting there. Uh, I think I only had two other moderators. Who one of them were was pretty like inactive, and you know I'm a full time streamer, so I mm-hmm. can't like sit there and just verify runs every day for like hours on end. So I'm sitting there wondering like what is going to happen now, and I remember. The day after that third moderator left, uh, there was huge controversy in the forums. Um, people were complaining about verification times, and I was uh. just sitting there like, dude, it's been one day, and this is already going really bad. And so I had to, I had to basically, I had to call in, like, you know, the, a superhero squad of new verifiers to save the day. Uh, so I got a couple of trusted Resident Evil 7 moderators and a couple of other people from the Resident Evil community who help with, like, timers and, uh, like, auto-splitters and SRT and stuff. So I got all them, you know, got them all in a Discord group, and I was like, alright, here's here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna make a forum post, we're gonna revise all of the rules, and we're gonna try and verify a couple of runs, like, every other day. Um, if you can, just just do what you can. Just don't worry about verification. Just worry about the controversy. So then after that, it was the big leaderboard move where a forum post had gotten to a point where everyone took a vote and they were like, we want this to look like this, which meant we had to change a variable. And, you know, if our, you, you dude, moderate a speedrun leaderboard, right? Holy so it's crap, like, dude. It is. I, I only... I only speedrun like i only moderate ghost towns so like my life is pretty easy because i get i get to do things but even trying to do things with no one objecting and no one stopping you is a pain and i can't even imagine having to do it with that much scrutiny oh yeah no there was like 200 people just going crazy and i had 300 runs awaiting verification for resident evil 2 remake (laughs) 300 and i was i was yeah i was worried and there was big controversy, and then we had to change a variable based on a vote. So because we had to change the variable, all of the runs that were verified had to be changed to another category. And they all had to be edited, so we had to edit it edit, manually. Like, yep. 
hundreds of runs and it was such a pain and by the time it was all over it was a huge sigh of relief because things kind of died down a little bit but that was a huge hit for my re2 remake experience as much as i love the game i can't forget that absolute shit show i went through with moderating and let me tell you re3 remake was so much easier oh it was so much easier yeah, I mean, I think the the one less I, I've noticed this too. I mean, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to make it sound like I'm calling people out. But like, I've definitely seen with some high profile new releases that you know people get stressed out by you know moderation and yeah, anyone listening, moderation of speedrun.com boards is such a labor of love because you both have to work with the community as well as work with the site itself, which is nice and free but like you know sometimes kind of difficult to handle uh and just you know just be patient with, with anyone who's who's moderating under that uh because certainly they're you know they're doing it again as a, as a labor of love and uh you know i'm sorry to hear that it affected but like also you know hopefully anybody who's serious will, will think of like oh yeah the next time you know the next big release comes out you know know that there's going to be a lot of churning you just have to give it time to play out yep resident evil village Oh, does that have a release date? It doesn't. A lot of people theorize that it comes out early 2021. I hope it's late 2021, just for a couple of extra months of, uh, you know, polish. Yeah, for cooking, yeah. Although, I I feel like that's been the thing with, um, because, like, what, uh, RE2 remake was, like, February, right? And then RE3 remake was, like, a similar kind of time of year? Yeah, it was was April, so they Mm -hmm. were only about a year and two months apart, and re3 remake definitely uh definitely was not as polished as re2 remake but for probably business reasons and like release date reasons because next gen comes out and yeah i think re3 remake was kind of on the back burner while village was the game that really was getting the love yeah it was, it was next 18. gen and it was like yeah. the next big release so that makes sense. which is unfortunate but you know it happens yeah, for sure. Uh, let's get some let's get some takes. I like to ask some questions and just get takes about speedruns of all the games that you've speedrun. What run is your favorite? Hmm. Fear instantly comes to mind. God, it's such a good speedrun. Fear run. is is just a good speedrun. It's it's got all of the quirky first person shooter tricks that you want to see. Um, you don't just run past all the enemies. Like you got to actually you know get your get your hands dirty literally take out some enemies and uh yeah literally punch yep. them <laughs> and um it's got pretty basic mechanics like you know there's there's a jump there's there's you know there's no sprint button um there's no you know extra quirky things it's just you know use med kit throw grenade shoot gun it's, it's simple fps stuff and it, it it all comes together very nicely, especially when you have, uh, you know, those kind of tricks where you go out of bounds and do, like, prop boosting and quick ports and all that jazz. It's it's just a good run. It's a solid run. And yeah. it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely the polar opposite to, like, another one of my favorites, which is Devil May Cry, where it's just 100%... Are you executing correctly? Good. Now, did you get good luck? Good. Nothing else to it. No out-of-bounds, no glitches, no exploits, just pure get good. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll be discussing both of those runs, uh, you know, later. But I, I do really, I, I agree with that kind of assessment in terms of the experience of you know watching them and you know the what I have to infer about the experience of running them. What about the flip side here? What's what's your least favorite speed run? Hmm, that's also a good question. Um, I feel like my least favorite speed runs that I've that I've done are probably oh man that's actually really difficult uh because there's a battle of the worst (laughs) there's definitely a battle of the worst because i i got to admit um when blair witch came out that run was actually going to be really cool because there was like two really big out of bounds sequences and that would have just made the speed run so much faster and more I, I guess enjoyable uh, but the very first or second patch that came out like a week after release like completely destroyed any hope of getting out of bounds in those spots anymore and I kept on doing the run because I just wanted to see how it would progress if anything else would be found and nope and yeah that, that speed run just kind of kind of sucks now hence why nobody's done a run in let me check. Yeah, I definitely remember that being uh, a game that some people talked about around the time of release, and then due to patches, just sort of fell off everyone's radar. Oh, okay. Somebody did a run three months ago, but prior to that, 11 months. So almost a whole year with, with not a single run submitted, which is, you know, kind of par for the course for certain games, but this one, I this board would have been way more full if those patches didn't happen. Yeah, no, that's that's always a, a bummer to see that too, especially when it, especially when, I mean, do you feel like did that did that feel targeted? I mean, I, I don't. Sometimes you know, it's, it's a situation where things are so specific, and then you know, sometimes maybe this was a situation where uh, things were so loose it was affecting casual players. I don't know. I don't think it was targeted, but I think um, I think what happened was um, there were a couple of um, you know. There were a couple of streamers with who had like a lot of viewers um, playing Blair Witch, and they actually figured out how to get out of bounds accidentally and didn't know where they were going, and they were like lost. And I think that's what made them patch it. And so I don't think it was targeted, but at the same time, like I, there's like no way to down patch. Mm-hmm. Like no one's figured out how to down patch. Like because I guess there's, there's no like retail release or anything, right? Yeah, it's just yeah there's we can't we can't figure it out and nobody has like the unpatched version i don't know why nobody kept it it's probably our fault but anyways i mean it's hard to know right like i mean i think what you said earlier which was you know it's going to be easier to get people to try it if you can do it on current patch and maybe you'll find more things and then of course as it turns out uh you said there was a battle though so that means there's there another was, game. There, there is another game that I kind of don't like as a speedrun anymore. I used to really like it, and now I kind of don't like it anymore. Um, and that's the suffering. And the reason why is because in the suffering, uh, when I got world record two years ago, the run had a pretty good mixture of getting through levels normally and just playing well and having good movement and aim, and then also doing some really big... Um, really, really big skips, a couple of of which were, were pretty enormous, and the run was about 23 minutes long, 
And then fast forward about three or four months, I think, and there was a runner who found some enormous skips, and it cut the run down by about eight minutes. So it was a 15-minute speedrun. And then somebody else found some big skips, and now it's a 13-minute speedrun. But unfortunately, you're no longer really, like, playing the game. And I know that's kind of like one of those arbitrary things with speedrunning. It's like, what is any percent? Any percent is beating the game as fast as possible. So that's just how it is. But the the run slowly became something that I just did not like because it was just a really, really hard trick after a really hard trick after a couple of small tricks. And you just you kept on skipping so much to the point where I just kind of didn't like it anymore. And my PC also like can't run the game very well because it's such a bad port for Mm -hmm. updated like you know processors and and equipment and stuff so it's like it's like i didn't want to force myself to just run a 12 minute speed run that was just not my kind of thing anymore and to also have a possibility of crashing like 10 minutes in it was just yeah it just became a run yeah. i was like ah nope a lot never of mind. factors at play that just sort of said you know what maybe this isn't for me anymore yeah and you know there are some games that i run where there are a lot of skips and it's just it's crazy but like fear is a good example of a game that it's balanced it's got gameplay it's got skips it's, it's some of them hard some of them you know not so hard but you're still like for the most part going through pretty big sections of the game as you would optimizing them, but suffering, you just you just kind of skip everything. All right, one more specific game question then: uh, a game that you would like to speedrun, but you haven't gotten around to it, whether for time reasons or it just being sort of incompatible with what you do streaming. Hmm. Um. Honestly, i I did want to get into like The Last of Us. Um, cause Anthony's a friend of mine who I, I definitely see as, uh, a very skilled runner of, of a, of a game that honestly is, is a really popular game. And I thought to myself like, okay, well this is kind of, uh, horror adjacent, The Last of Us. I, I could get into that, but as soon as I wanted to run that game, I believe RE2 Remake was kind of popping off. And I decided I would focus on that. And I just never ended up learning it. Just just out of time, I guess. Um, but no, you know, I mean, fast forward. It seems like it would be time consuming to learn, for sure. Yeah, three hour run. Definitely time consuming. Not that I don't do long runs. I, I've done a couple of pretty long runs. But yeah, I just haven't gotten around to it. And then I suppose like another game that just kind of doesn't really fit the stream kind of vibe that I do. Um, I've always wanted to actually learn, like, a legit Nintendo title. You know, not uh, not a game that was featured on the GameCube, but just a legit Nintendo character title. Whether it be Mario or Kirby or, you know, Yoshi or, or whatever. Just something in the Nintendo universe. And I have not done that yet. Interesting. I you know I 
I mean, it's such a yeah. Obviously, it's a wide, wide. Do you feel like there's a particular like era or or game that you have in mind, or you just it's like a general sentiment? You're like, I just want to have a, like just a you know just a, a little bit as a treat. Yeah, no, it's kind of just a sentiment. I you know I've looked at SM64 and I think okay, high skill ceiling looks fun, looks a bit clunky, but that's just the camera. <laughs> that's just right, the camera. Yeah, I think. Just, yeah, yeah. I think everything else is like not that bad. Um, so, you know, that, that seems like a good one. Super Mario Sunshine, I was interested in at one point, but then I realized, uh, I don't like the GameCube controller that much. (laughs) I don't want to be doing C-Stick stuff and you have to do Mm C-Stick stuff in Super Mario Sunshine. So I was like, yeah, no, never mind. And then, you know, Kirby, Kirby games I looked at and I was like, okay, Nightmare in Dreamland is pretty sick, but I got to emulate this. And I just, I don't know how I feel about kirby i guess never haven't played the games in so long maybe i gotta return to them and then there's like metroid prime uh that's a sick run but i also just i don't know if i want to invest in it it's it's yeah there's there's a lot of nintendo games i could pick from it's just kind of one of those things where like i have a list of runs that i want to do you know like i want to have a movie game uh, I want to have like a beat 'em up game. I want to have a hack and slash game. I want to have an FPS game. I want to have a you know different types of games on my repertoire. You know, I want an RPG. I'll, I want you know a platformer, and so on and so forth. I just kind of want to fit a game into all of these different categories, just to say that I you know I tried it out. I did it. You know that, that kind of leads, I think, to my my final question for just general speedrunning stuff, which is I always like to ask. Uh, do you feel like you have a particular uh, role in speedrunning or mission statement in speedrunning? And it sounds to me like maybe the answer to that is variety speedrunner, uh, like truly, truly accomplish you know a full variety. Do you think that that's the answer for you, or would you say something else? I I would say yeah, no, that's that's kind of hitting it pretty pretty close. I would say that my channel has gone through, you know, just my career in speedrunning and streaming has gone through so many different phases from, you know, Silent Hill speedrunning to grinding out Jet Set Radio to, you know, learning dot hack GU last recode when it came out to learning Beautiful Joe and then learning Fear and and doing a Shenmue run and just so many different things and uh you know, it's it's definitely a, a variety of of runs that you can't really see anywhere else. I would say, like, in in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, I'm not, like, this big name in speedrunning, but I'm also, like, one of the only people you'll ever be able to see doing a certain game back-to-back. Like, you'll probably never see anyone else do, like, a Fatal Frame run back-to-back with, like, a Fear run or, like, a Deadly Premonition run or the Convenience Store or Devil May Cry, or Visage, you know, it's it's just, it's just a huge variety of runs, and I'd like to say that, like, it's proof that if you're a speedrunner, if you put all your cookies into one basket, it might work out for you, but it, it truly, variety is something you should always try out, and if it's not for you, it's not for you, but I suggest everybody that speedruns, if you have, like, a couple of games on your list, awesome, keep, keep adding. Just keep adding. Keep trying new stuff out. It'll actually make you a better speedrunner. I found that Absolutely. early on, early on when I was doing mainly Silent Hill speedruns, 
Um, Silent Hill speedruns are all the same. You just run to point A to point B with a certain movement set and pick up items and solve puzzles and, and beat bosses, and that's it. And if I were to just grind out Silent Hill speedruns all the time for God knows how long, um, there would be a very small skill ceiling for speedrunning for me, because I'm not used to doing anything else other than tank controls or 3D controls, point A to point B puzzles. Um, so, like, when I learned Jet Set Radio, which is, you know, platforming on roller skates with really, like, clunky Sega Dreamcast controls and having to button mash very consistently for quick sprays, that is just a new way of doing a game that I wouldn't have been introduced to, and it made me better at certain things, you know? Um, and then, you know, moving on to stuff like, um, stuff like Devil May Cry, which is extremely execution-heavy, and if you press a button in a wrong way, you just completely mess up an entire room full of enemies. So, the more games you learn, especially if they're, like, vastly different from each other, I feel like the better you get at speedrunning as a whole. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, I definitely want to drive that message and just kind of encourage people to just learn a bunch of different games. And my GDQ runs, I think, prove that, because I've ran... uh, Pretty much all the games I've ran in GDQ are completely different from each other. Yeah, I I think it's almost... It almost builds on what we said at the very beginning of this about indie game speedrunning. You you don't know until you run the game what the viability of the game is as a a speedrun period, but that that's also personal too. It, it's also the, the viability of the game as a speedrun for you, uh, the speedrunner, and you really don't know until you try. Yep, true. All right, well, let's get into some games. Let's talk about some specifics here. Uh, first one up is Devil May Cry, and specifically uh, for this interview, I watched over your uh, your runs, or both your GDQ and World Record run for uh, Devil May Cry Any Percent Normal, uh, which. Uh, was interesting because as you said it really is focused on execution i did want to ask uh i'm pretty sure you were playing this on pc was this a game that you had played when it first came out on ps2 and kind of something you visited throughout the years or something that you came to later as a speedrun um my uh currently my sister's fiance like back when i was maybe 15 16 got me devil may cry on the ps2 for my birthday uh so shout outs to him for getting me that otherwise i wouldn't have gotten into devil may cry so he got me it and i played it and it was it was sick it was a sick experience it was like no other game i'd played and that's what got me into devil may cry you know years later devil may cry 3 devil devil may cry 4 uh, we don't talk about the reboot. <laughs> Devil May Cry 5 comes out in 2019, one of the sickest action games I've ever played. And the kind of my love for Devil May Cry just is just kind of there. It's always been there, even I re- if I haven't played the games like religiously every year. I really like that you you took the time to said we don't even talk about we don't talk about the reboot, but completely skipped over DMC2, which matches up with every other Devil May Cry fan that I've ever talked to. But yeah, I, I appreciate that, that delivery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So but one thing, you know, with this run, um, you mentioned, you know, execution, of course, is important. Uh, with this run, what is that What is that execution uh, about? Is it sort of being able to, uh, you know, consistently cancel things and, uh, you know, deal with enemy patterns? Like what kind of, uh, what, are the, what is the execution that you need to keep tight in order to, to succeed? So... 
every single room has a very specific thing you need to execute, usually. Um, and if you want to get, like, a top time, at least. So, because the game has fixed cameras in a lot of spots, uh, but it doesn't have tank controls, uh, that joystick, you need to be very precise on which direction you put that joystick every single time the camera changes. So, that execution in itself is something that you really gotta get used to with Devil May Cry. Um, and because the joystick and the camera and the movement works like that, you have to be really precise with your platforming as well. Um, platforming in Devil May Cry 1 is the clunkiest of the series, seeing as it's the first of its, you know, kind. And there's certain mechanics with jumping that kind of make it weird. Uh, if you just tap the X button, he will do, like, a mini hop. So it's pressure sensitive. Oh, it's pressure so, sensitive! Okay, I was yeah, just... So, I was literally having a discussion today... Like trying to explain why the PS2 had pressure sensitive buttons and why it was important and weirded me out when I played MGS2 on 360, which doesn't have those pressure sensitive buttons. Um, really cool to hear about this, actually. Yeah, it's it's it makes it so difficult to make it so that you get like every single second out of a out of a mission. Because if like take for instance uh, mission three, uh, you go outside out to like the bridge area, and if you do a full jump to get up onto, like, the top of the uh, the door piece, whatever you call it, I don't know what to call it, um, there's, like, a red orb cache there that you need to get so you can get a, a perfect uh, mission, get all the orbs that you need and stuff. So to get that special bonus, you need to hop up to that area, and if you do a full jump and you hold down X, you lose, like, 0.2 or 0.3 or something, as opposed to doing a short hop, and you have to do it pretty precisely as well like if your angle is off you don't get up there and you fall all the way to the bottom so pressure sensitive jumps are definitely a thing and it comes into play in a couple of other rooms later in the game as well but um they're they, yeah it's all pretty precise and then as well as stinger stinger is an ability that you get at mission three and stinger you have to make sure that you're pointing your joystick yet again in the right direction before you press stinger and you also need to make sure that Dante does this weird thing where if you hold down the joystick and the camera changes and you keep holding the joystick in that specific spot, don't even move it, you know, a hair, uh, he'll keep running in that direction. But he won't stinger in that direction. So you have to, you pretty much have to change your joystick at like super specific times to the exact angle that you want for stinger. And then there's enemy patterns where you're trying to slash cancel. Slash canceling is super big in certain rooms and it'll, you know, it'll definitely define whether or not you can get past mission one correctly. Because if you can't get past mission one correctly, you have to reset. Because if you don't get an S rank, it's dead run. Right, so, and that's because you're the part of what's also going on in the run besides you know the execution of fighting monsters is that you're collecting these uh you know these these ranks and orbs in order to get the equipment you need and like is there a little bit of rng that goes into that well in terms of making sure you have the resources to actually have say holy waters to kill bosses yes there is a little bit of rng involved um the most heavy rng sections are the first five missions i would say mission one uh, you go down to the basement, you fight all the uh, marionettes, and the marionettes are, the ones that come out of the walls are random. 
So there's three different kinds. There's the blue ones. Uh, no, there's four different kinds. The blue ones, the green ones, the purple ones, and the red ones, which are called the Bloody Marys. And the Bloody Marys and the purples have more health, um, substantially more compared to the green and the blue. So if you get all blues, I mean, you're good to go. Like, you're going to get a good time, probably. Um, but that basement is the first section because not only is the color and their health random but their uh, their weapons are so if you get one of the marionettes if you get like a purple marionette who's holding a shotgun uh most likely he's gonna roll up on you and just shoot you and the shotgun does enough damage to where you're not going to get an s rank that's i was i was just wondering that i was like oh man I, were there some of the enemies that would have had guns too and the, of course the answer the answer is yes um you know one thing i did want to share uh, from watching the 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 world the world record vod had maybe one of the you 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 have uh, I think chat available uh, on your on your stream uh, stream vods and uh, I think it was one person said uh, it hurts my eyes watching you play this because you're so bad which is just like an excellent an excellent thing to leave <laughs> for for future generations uh, yeah. I really really could not get over that being being in the, in the video like once you said that it's pretty much uh, confirmed and blessed um so going forward uh with this now i mean you have have the top time do you have any plans to improve this or maybe to focus on other character other uh, categories uh in this game um i could go back and improve any percent but all of my time save is right at the end of the game so i would need to play really really well and get really good luck and if i don't do certain tricks at the end of the game I don't get that time save. So I guess it's it's not that I don't want to improve it. It's that man, do I want to grind again? I don't know. It's kind of it's a, it's a rough game to grind. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. There are other categories that I've wanted to do, but I, I guess I'm just not like super motivated to do them. I just I feel comfortable with my any percent normal time. Any percent easy is it's basically almost the same route. Just you don't have to. You know, your orbs aren't as important in that category, so it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, but then there's Dante Must Die. Dante Must Die is messed up. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's the masochistic run. I'm not that masochistic. Um, and then there's 100%, which, or, well, is it 100%? I think it's, it's all, I forgot the specifics behind the category, but, like, it's, it's picking up all, like, the blue orbs and, buying all of the things um the abilities and stuff and that is a cool category but at the same time it's totally dependent on orb count and it would probably feel pretty bad getting towards like the end of a run and being like oh i'm down 200 orbs and now i lose minutes of time because i don't have 200 orbs and i don't want to do that that just seems meh yeah no that's that's fair there's always i feel like when you get to uh runs that are more completionist you're more likely to run into that sort of um that sort of that sort of uh poison pill that just uh really really affects the rest uh let's move on to to fear then which is uh again you know i think we've already talked about like monolith especially this era of monolith uh is just so wonderful i mean fear was a a game that i had played a lot as a kid uh i had the the privilege of going my my first gdq appearance uh, my only gdq appearance was shogo uh their their earlier the first lift tech game um 
So really excited to talk about uh, this one with you. How did you get into Fear? Was it something that you had played around launch? Uh, I played it on console, which uh, the game was like ported to console. It was first a PC game. And I guess the console ports were kind of meh comparison to, to like the PC versions, but the PC version was kind of ahead of its time. Pretty sure it strained the absolute shit out of all the PCs <laughs> out there, kind of like Crisis did. But, um, yeah, I played it, and I played it a few years after it released on console. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a ton. I actually played Fear and Condemned, like, back-to-back, and uh, both awesome games. And Fear was kind of a game that was just sitting in my Steam library, and one time uh, I did a, a subathon. And I made a goal. I was like, all right, if we get to this amount of subs, I'll do a random speedrun of fear. And everyone was like, oh, dude, that game's awesome. I want to see that. And so I did it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did it. And afterwards, I like looked up some of the tricks that I could implement. And I was like, oh, this is actually a really sick run. I'm going to learn this. And so I learned it. And this was before quick porting. So I had to learn a bunch of tricks that aren't necessary anymore in the run. But I, I learned them all. They were super awesome. And uh, my, my chat was super into it. And so I just kind of started uh, started running it. It was really just a... It was one of those things where I was like, all right, I'll make this a goal. I'll play it. I'll try to go fast. And if it's fun, maybe I'll look into it more. And that's what happened. It was kind of a smooth transition. All right. This game, this game has so many incredibly cool tricks we could probably spend like another hour talking about them, but we don't have another hour. So I'm going to ask you: uh, Do you have do you have a do you have a favorite or at least a few favorites that you'd want to just talk about? Uh, I think the floppy boost is is so cool. You would never think that Point Man could land on a floppy drive in midair and jump off of it. Like that's not something you would think of, and it's it's pretty obvious like if you go watch my my gdq run of fear i was so i was like so defeated when you know the floppy drive didn't spawn in and blood thunder was like yo uh i think you just need to redo this setting and so we exited the game redid the setting and it it spawned and i was so relieved and so happy that i could do the floppy boost and i think not only is it my favorite trick, but that moment at that GDQ run also solidified how awesome that trick is because everyone in the chat was like freaking out at it. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's great too because but even before that point in the run, there are other prop boosts. You know, I think there, there's like the the box boost, uh, the, the box one, boost, box boost, and, uh, the ceiling tile. The, yeah, the ceiling tile, which has a few names. There's, there's the Norton skip. The Chester Skip, which is like the OG name for it, <laughs> because he likes to eat cheesy poos, Norton Mapes, and Chester the Cheetah. Yeah, anyways. And then there's the Fat Bastard Skip, because he literally looks like Fat Bastard from Austin Powers. He really does. So yeah, that Skip is also pretty cool. That one, I would say that one is also one of my favorites, but it's really like finicky, that ceiling tile. So I find it to not be as fun, because it's... it's finicky yeah you know, it was really interesting coming back to this i, I try not to uh, interject myself too much in the interviews but uh, i think i had watched some of uh you know my friend casey fru play this and 
uh, since then I had played, uh, you know, there was a period of time where Monolith would license out their uh, their Liftech engine, you know, to other companies. And there is a very, very shovelware uh, World War II game called, I think it's called like, op- uh, uh, it's like Mortar 4 Operation Thunderstorm or something like that. It's Operation Thunderstorm on Steam, but it has basically all of the same glitches. <laughs> so oh? I, I learned it. And um, uh, Rhythm, I don't know if you know Rhythm. Um, she's a yeah, Polish yeah. speedrunner. Um, she's one of the moderators for it. And it has the quick ports, the you know the the quick save twice and load, and then also has the float glitch where you you interact with the the ladder, and then you you know you hover and you maintain your your height, and you have to use you know things to to change up your height or you can crouch. Um, and it was just really funny to to then watch back and be like, oh, these are all the same tricks, like you know, because again, it's the it's the same engine. So I don't know if you ever really need shovelware, <laughs> World War Two, you already know the tricks. You know, you could probably it's like a you know like a fifteen minute FPS speed run. Uh, but it was really, really funny just to see all the same stuff. The one thing I did want to ask for some clarification, like obviously I just shared that I have some experience with these tricks in another game, but have people gotten a better understanding of the laptop skip? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I would like to sum it up as laptop moves and because you're in the laptop's hitbox it just sends you flying like that's the only explanation behind it that's got to be the only explanation yeah that's what it, that's what it looks like especially from i think from watching both uh, the the gdq and your your 4850 run that seems like the answer but it's the movement is so sudden um you know it's like it, it's not like it's not a prop boost folks like if you watch it when it works, you're upstairs. You're there now. It's a teleport. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's insane. I don't think we have any idea why it works <laughs> or how it works, but it just works and we yeah. use it. And there's also another strat you can do without the laptop teleport if like you're I don't know, if you're not feeling the laptop teleport, you can always uh shoot the portrait, jump on top of the portrait and get upstairs. Oh yeah, I, you know I think I, I, that that jogs a memory. I think of watching someone do that long ago in a in a previous version. Uh, with with this game, uh, so the run, of course, that we're talking about is any percent, uh, and especially the the current patch version. Um, have you ever thought about? Because I know I've I've been told I've not I haven't watched it myself, but I'm told that unpatched it has more tricks that were patched out. But also that people haven't taken things like quick porting back to to an unpatched run. Uh, I'm just curious if you had more plans for either this any percent or ever approaching another fear category. Honestly, the the unpatched is a pretty sick run. Um, it's different from from patched because for from what I can tell, quick porting isn't doable on uh, on unpatched. Mm. And uh, they haven't figured it out yet. There might be a way of doing it, but um, it hasn't been found. And it's you can't do it the same way you do it on patched, which is really weird. But that's a thing, yeah. Um, but the uh, the unpatched version does have a couple of really cool uh, ladder clips where you kind of confuse the game into thinking you're on the ladder, but you're not. And so you kind of clip through certain walls next to the ladders, and then you kind of float out of bounds and this whole weird way of skipping certain levels it's cool i don't know if i'll ever get into it unless quick porting is found in it 
um, simply because it would actually be faster if we could right. quick port. It would be a faster category if we could quick port. Probably minutes faster because there's a couple of levels where um, you can't quick port, but you can do the ladder glitch to get out of bounds so you'd be able to float to the exit. So that is definitely something I'd be interested in if, if it ever happens. Right, right. In terms of other categories, um, glitchless... Uh, I don't know. Glitchless isn't a bad category for fear because it's still fear and it's got, you know, this shotgun that's extremely satisfying to use and the level design isn't too confusing and uh, it's generally quite a fun game, but it is also like half an hour longer and I don't really know if I want to do a half an hour extra of fear without doing any tricks. It's kind of just any percent is just kind of how I did the game and how it's been and probably how it will always be. But yeah. um, maybe one day I'll try a glitch list just for just for fun, mm-hmm, just to sure. see how it is, just to finally just say I tried it. Right, right. Um, and then there's another category that used to exist called any percent no out of bounds, but it was extremely like the rules were so arbitrary and nobody ran it. And I just kind of talked to the community. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm just going to take this category down and we're going to rework a different category. And I think what we're going to try and do is see if anyone wants to join me in doing a, an old school kind of any percent run where we do no quick porting. So it would be like the, uh, it would be the patched version but before quick porting was implemented. So back when I started learning the game, it would be like that. So there's more prop boosts and uh, more kind of weird float glitch stuff. And I think that would probably be a better category than doing no out of bounds because it's less arbitrary in terms of like the rule set. And it also just provides you with more interesting tricks to do. No, that seems fair. I mean, and again, I, I think maybe what, what you're driving it to is sort of you know, when it, when it comes to putting together a, a category like this, you know, you do want a good mix of things, uh, you know, and I think the fear any percent is giving you that. And also the reason of doing no quick porting again would be to do those, you know, tricks that you enjoyed. And, and in much the same way that sometimes, you know, like when you're talking earlier about the suffering, uh, sometimes you can, you can cut out too much. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's sort of, that's sort of one of those things when you're, when you're testing out whether you like a category uh, you know, does it have the right mix of things? Uh, but let's start. Let's get on to the the third game here. Let's go for a photo finish. Ooh, yeah. So I, I, I yeah, I watched the GDQ vod, and, and you got you got a lot of a uh, lot of uh, picture puns there, which is not uncommon for for uh, for a GDQ run experience. Uh, with Fatal Frame, uh, you mentioned I think earlier that you know you had collected horror games, got into you know PS2 stuff like that. Uh, and I think you mentioned this one. Fatal Frame was one of those ones that you had collected. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was one of the first games to make me actually turn off my console. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> is there a, is there a sp- specific spooky story there? Um, you know, I, honestly, it was. Or was it this was frustration? Really just, it, <laughs> Wait, no, it was. It was. It was spooks. It was spooks. It, it was, okay. uh, it was spooks. I think. I'm trying to remember exactly which ghost it was. Um. No, I actually I think it was just straight up the first ghost in the game. The the first ghost in the game was was so or no 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 no, it was the first ghost after Mafuyu's section where you play as Miku. That ghost scared the crap out of me because I was already so scared by the first ghost that Mafuyu 
had to fight and you have to fight ghosts in fatal this is the reason why fatal frame like spooked me so much because i was used to silent hill and resident evil where you had the choice you know you can run away from an enemy and you can fight it you know whenever you want um for the most part you know you have the decision but in fatal frame to progress the game you have to fight the ghosts it's it's a requirement and so i just wasn't used to that and fighting those first two ghosts i was like nope i'm done i need to turn this off i need to come back to this another time uh yeah it was it was the first game to make me turn off my console but but now you are you're a speedrunner of fatal frame and you you actually uh at agdq 2020 i believe that's the first fatal frame appearance at a gdq event right yeah, they uh, the run was showcased on an online event, um, and I believe Sasam did that, mm-hmm. and that that run definitely um, was able to garner some more interest in Fatal Frame returning. So uh, I think that definitely helped my my chances. Uh, but it was the first time Fatal Frame had been done on the stage, and uh, surprisingly, because Fatal Frame has been uh, submitted quite a few times, and not only Fatal Frame 1, but Fatal Frame 2. And I think maybe the combination of the uh, the run that Sasam did and uh, kind of the more interesting Fatal Frame 1 run being, you know, Fatal Frame 2 is interesting, but it's not as interesting as 1 because of the quick shot mechanics and stuff like that. So yeah, I think my, my odds were just, you know, upped a little bit, and I, I'm a reliable person for GDQ. I... I I never do anything wrong. I'm always <laughs> on the couches. I'm always chilling out there. So they the trust bread me. and butter. Yeah. So they, they definitely trusted me with it. And, uh, I, I'd like to think it went really well. Um, especially cause fatal frames a bit risky. No, you know, that was one of the things that was, that was interesting to me watching was cause I, I imagine maybe not all of the risk was called out, but certainly, uh, going into the final boss and being like, well, you know, there's she can one shot kill me and there's nothing i can do about it <laughs> i was like well yeah. <laughs> all right let's go yeah there's no checkpoints and there's no i didn't save a single time in that run so yeah no that was really that was that was something so i would say of of the runs uh you know these three runs i feel like fatal frame was probably the the one that was maybe the hardest for a, a casual viewer to say like ah yes this is the thing that makes the like this. This is the the sort of execution that you have to bring to the speed run. Um, what would you highlight to someone as being like the the thing to work on? Is it is it the quick shotting? Is it movement? I one hundred percent think it's quick shotting. Um, I think. Uh, let me go to the leaderboard really quick. I think before quick shotting was actually implemented heavily into the run. This was before Alien and I a fellow runner started having like this really intense awesome rivalry um i believe it was let's see here uh yeah actually the game was a 116 and now it is a 111 so five minutes of time saved just from actually implementing quick shots into the run which is huge that's that's a lot of time for a survival horror game where you're primarily going from point A to point B and uh, doing puzzles and whatnot. So um, I would say quick shotting is the biggest thing people need to, to, to work on if they want to run the game, but also the biggest thing that you should pay attention to. 
because quick shotting is is very specific. If you don't do it correctly, um, ghosts in Fatal Frame are very random. They can do whatever they want. They can float around a little bit. They can literally teleport behind you, mess up your your movement and your placement in the room. And uh, yeah, I'd say quick shotting is the most important thing, and uh, everything else is really secondary. Do you feel like the current... So you mentioned you had a, a, a rivalry with this other runner, Alien, and I can see right now that, you know, your your PB VOD is is titled Former World Record, and I can see that Alien currently has this top time. Uh, do you feel like the, that rivalry uh, you know, contributed to driving down the time, and also do you have uh, you have any plans to return and rekindle that rivalry? Oh, absolutely. The uh, I believe when Alien got the 114... I think that's when I started running, uh, and then I beat his time, and then he got a better 114, uh, and then I got a 113, and then he got a 113, and then I got a 112, <laughs> and then he got a 112, and it just kept on going back and forth. We'd beat each other by like 10, 20 seconds, and um, then I got the 111, and I was like, okay, this is a 111. Like, this is insane. This is getting hard. And uh, he, then he came back and beat me by a whopping, like, 29 seconds. No, 30, 30 seconds. 31, jeez. And, uh, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, man. <laughs> if I want to get this record back, it's going to be a grind. Because it, 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 with Fatal Frame, you never know. You never know how long it's going to take to PB. It could take you five days. It could take you five weeks. There's just no way of knowing uh, what the RNG has in store for you. Like, if you get bad luck on... I think there's, like, five ghosts in the game where if you get bad luck, it's it's just a reset right off the bat. Like, there's no way you can even save your run. So, that's that, really how yeah, it's gotten. That's yeah, tough. Fatal Frame... Fatal Frame went from a, a run that was relatively easy to get world record in to now it's it's very very difficult. But that's cool, you know. I, I think that speaks to uh, it. Sometimes I, I think you know. So we've talked about we're talking now about rivalries. Uh, we had talked previously about sort of the you know times when the game is new and there's an explosion of interest. Uh, but also just just like a dedicated one v one rivalry. Also does so much, I think, to really, uh, you know, to drive down a particular game's time. And it's, it's always, you know, if, if anyone, if you're out there and, like, you got the top time in a game and someone else comes along and takes it, like, if you even think that you want to come back a little bit, um, you know, I so often it'll be fun for you, it'll be fun for that other person, and it'll do a lot to really, uh, you know, fashion the run into an optimized speed game. And it's just a great opportunity when it comes up. I agree. It's uh, and also you know it gets more people interested in maybe learning themselves too, kind of a community driving thing, right. as well as driving the world record down. Yeah, no, I mean like if, if these two folks are going at it, like maybe maybe I should get involved too. Exactly. All right, let's start to wind down a little bit. Get some some exit questions here. Uh, one of the things I like to do in this interview series is have a little connective tissue to have a question from my previous guest for my next guest. Uh, Argic uh, Sonic Runner had this question for you. Uh, what is your opinion or your hot take on the next generation of hardware? And he meant that broadly too, uh, meaning you know, PS5, Xbox Series X, NVIDIA, the 30, 30 series cards. Do you think they're going to change uh, kind of gaming or is it just going to sort of proceed apace? 
Um, I, I do think that the PS5 backwards compatibility with PS4 is going to be a big thing because the PS5 supposedly has an SSD that is faster than anything you could put in your PS4. That's what they say. I don't know if that's the, the truth. I would like to believe it's the truth and that Sony ain't just lying. Uh, but um, I think that's going to be pretty big because, you know, most PS4 titles don't have the luxury of having a, uh, a load remover. Uh, some do. Horizon Zero Dawn is, is a good example of, uh, of a game that has load remover. I believe Bloodborne does too. And, and it, I do think that most games will probably be faster on PS5, most PS4 titles, if they're timed RTA. So I think that's going to probably play a big factor. Um, I could see most leaderboards just... I could see most leaderboards, if they have a lot of runners, just instantly splitting things up. I, I could see a lot of community votes happening, probably a little bit of controversy here and there, but when it comes to the Xbox, I don't really understand the backwards compatibility as much. I know that the Xbox One backwards compatibility was already doing wonders for uh, certain speed games. Uh, an example, uh, I believe Silent Hill Homecoming, it, you know, the Silent Hill community was super, super into uh, the Xbox One because the loading times were much faster, and that game is RTA. So, um, I, it would probably be the same with the next Xbox if backwards compatibility is going to be a focus again, like the Xbox one. Uh, and in terms of the NVIDIA cards, oh man, like it's going to be wild what you can do on some of these games now. Like if you uncap your frame rate, I feel like a lot of speedrunning communities revolved around the PC kind of genre of games, like a lot of first person shooters and stuff. Um, I think a lot of those games already have things implemented to make it so that everyone's kind of on a fair playing field you know the load removal and you know auto splitter and making rules to cap frame rate and whatnot i do think that plays a huge part in a lot of pc speedrunning communities but uh i don't know yeah i, I don't know a- what the 3030 holds for us yeah I, I, or the 33000 series rather um, yeah no i i think those are all kind of fair answers i'm definitely interested as well and what uh you know ps5 ps4 uh, looks like especially with that ssd and two with uh you know I, i've seen some of the some of the same stuff uh with with the xbox backward bully i hope they expand uh you know the what's available there um really i just want more backwards compatibility so you know if yeah, i get same. into a game if i get into a game i would love to just you know i i know having a level playing field for igt is good but like also as as a person who has to budget my time, I love it when I look at loading screens less. So you know, <laughs> it's agreed, agreed. It's all over there. Um, you've already mentioned one game that you're looking forward to, which of course is uh, Resident Evil Eight. Uh, any other games that you'd want to highlight uh, as things that you're excited to play in the future? Um, Ghostwire Tokyo. Uh, it looks really interesting. I I really look forward to playing that, especially because. Um, it's i believe you know the evil within one and two was this kind of passion project from from left over from what you know was the resident evil 4 vibe 5 vibe but kind of turned into its own thing and i do like the vibe of those games but i i think oswire tokyo looks less horror and less action and it looks kind of more thriller yeah it looks more suspenseful thriller kind of stuff and it's got it seems like it's got more of an atmosphere and it's more confusing and makes you think and stuff i kind of like that in games 
I also do look forward to seeing what the next the next God of War game is. I I'm a huge God of War fan as well as Devil May Cry, so I'd like to see what the next God of War game has in store. I'd like to see a trailer, even if it's short. I would just pop off. Yeah, just to know just to know that it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But was, you know, there's a couple of other games too. You know, a couple of, a couple of like indie games too, like this game called Stray. I remember seeing a trailer for Stray like years ago or like an announcement for it. And it's just like this, just this cute cat in this robotic world. And it just looks like a cute little fun game to play. A couple of other games too, like, um, what's that game called? Pragmata? Is that the name? Was that the one with the, the weird astronaut trailer? Or no, that was... Yes. It was, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's, um, it's by Capcom. Yeah, 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 it was by so, Capcom, yeah. I'm really interested to see if they use the RE engine and if they do, like, how is this game going to look on next gen stuff? Like, it's probably going to look insane. (laughs) And it looks really kind of more adventurous stuff that Capcom hasn't done in God knows how long. So I'm, I'm very interested in that as well. Uh, and then, you know, whatever Kojima does next, (laughs) just literally whatever he does. I don't, I'll, I'll play it. I want him. I, what I want him to do is predict a good future instead of Death Stranding predicting the future. <laughs> that would be a plus with me. I can't believe. I can't believe that happened. Yeah, Death no, Stranding right? telling the story of the future. Cool, great. Thanks, Kojima. All right. Well, on that note, on that bright, optimistic note, uh, where can people find you and what you're doing? Uh, I mean, I am. I am a full time streamer. Like I, I do it for a living. Thankfully. Thanks to, you know, the help of many generous people out there who enjoy what I do. Uh, so you can definitely find me on, on Twitch, uh, Maxi Lobes. I'm Maxi Lobes on literally everything. And I'm, I'm the one and only. So if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm there as well, at Maxi Lobes. And uh, I do have a YouTube. That's where you can usually find most of, like, my casual playthroughs, as well as, like, some of my, my world records and PBs and whatnot. Yeah, and of course, all of those will be will be linked uh, in the the description below, wherever you're listening, uh, as well as you know links to some of the individual uh, videos that I watched uh, preparing for this uh, interview. Uh, Maxi, thank you so much for giving me all this time and wonderful information. Yeah, no problem. It was super fun. Thank you for having me. Honestly, but I I do need one more thing from you uh, in order to properly conclude uh, an episode of Overboost. I'm going to use a, a catchy, awkward cheese phrase like, let's boost on out of here. And when I do that, I need you to follow it up with your best like rocket booster engine noise. Can you do that okay. for me? Okay. Yeah, I got All you. Right. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Let's boost on out of here.